when you walk into a negotiation, if your context is, I am afraid of losing this deal, right? You may not admit it to yourself, but if that's what's there deep down, that's your context. That's the energy you're going to be coming from. Those are the signals you're going to be thrown off no matter what you try to, you know, change a mass. So you got to work on your context and create an empowering context coming into the negotiation. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions, smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. Today is a solo cast, and we'll be continuing the series of uh, talking about key elements from my authentic negotiating book. Uh, and key elements on how to negotiate authentically uh, and have what I call true negotiating success. Um, in the last couple of uh, solo casts, we talked about my fundamental framework of, of uh, CDE, clarity, detachment, and equilibrium. Um, today, I want to talk about, uh, to start with, the top five steps to being a great negotiator. And some of these are sort of the opposite of the, the six things, pitfalls to avoid, uh, to, um, you know, uh, that create uh, failure in negotiation. Um, but, you know, some things to be learned looking at it from the other side. So what are the top five uh, ways to be a great negotiator or steps to be a great negotiator? One is to create and stay connected to a powerful context. Two is being willing to do what it takes to get to your truth. Three is identifying and fully owning your value. Four is always being integrity. And five is having high expectations. So let's go through each of them. First, create and stay connected to a powerful context. What do I mean by context? Well, um, we're going to talk about this more in, in, in uh, the CPR exercise, which I'll do in a future podcast, which is one of the most powerful tools I know on how to um, really prepare for a successful negotiation, how to maintain clarity, detachment, and equilibrium, and how to, um, you know, be successful. Um, but context is sort of the waters you swim in. It's your being level, right? Too much, too many of us focus on doing. And a lot of the trading in negotiation is, is about that, right? I talk about all the time. I've talked on the last couple of solo casts about how it's all about tactics, counter tactics, and that kind of stuff. That's a lot of doing stuff. What do I say now? How do I respond to X? But people underestimate the being level right? In other words, who are you when you walk into that deal? What is the energy you're in? If you are, as I've mentioned before, an energy of anger, upset, ego, scarcity, fear, you name it, then you're going to be in trouble, okay? And I don't care what action you take above that, people are able to read it, okay? And, um, you know, one of the things that, um, that I alluded to, but I didn't go into as much detail on the last solo cast around, you know, fear, so, you know, people can sense it, right? You can't hide it. You can't mask it. You don't want to do, spend time trying to mask it. You want to get rid of it. Well, with any kind of emotion, here, here's the thing you have to understand. Yes, people can read your body language. And, you know, there's all kinds of stats that show that the majority of our communication does not come from our speaking, but from our tone and our body language. And um, like I said on, you know, episode uh, 21, Greg Williams talked about that. But also, Right. We have something called microfacial expressions. And they, I don't know, there's something like, I don't know, 40 something muscles in the face, and they combine to make hundreds of microfacial expressions. So we are giving out signals all the time physically 
Um, even if you don't believe in transfer of energy, which by, by the way, I do. Quantum physics says everything is energy. When we were kids, some of us were older. When we were kids, we grew up in, with this concept of matter and energy, this table that I'm uh, tapping on now that, uh, that my mic is sitting on, you know, was, was, was matter and then energy, you know, energy was energy. Well, no, everything's energy. It's just in a different density, a different vibration, a different form. So if everything is energy, I do believe that we give off signals and that we can energetically sense when somebody is in fear or in anger or an upset or scarcity or out of integrity or whatever. But even if you don't believe in it, that right, we have body language, we have tone, we have, we have microfacial expressions that, and you can't control those. So the work to create a powerful context, you know, when you walk in there, because uh, context is like, uh, is like culture, right? There's this big move in companies and this is a saying that they say, you know, you either create your culture or it's created by default. Like there's always a culture in a company. It's either consciously created or it's created by default. The same thing with context. You always have a context when you walk into a negotiation. You always have a context for everything you do. You have a context for your personal relationship. You have a context for your health. You have a context for your level of um, self-love and confidence. When you walk into a negotiation, if your context is, I am afraid of losing this deal, right? You may not admit it to yourself, but if that's what's there deep down, that's your context. That's the energy you're going to be coming from. Those are the signals you're going to be thrown off no matter what you try to, you know, change your mass. So you got to work on your context and create an empowering context coming into the negotiation. Um, there's a lot of ways, you know, we talk about uh, doing that in the book. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. My, the, the CPR, um, you know, context is, um, is you know, I'm going to teach on the CPR methodology is, um, is one of the, you know, is one of the um, uh, key ways to do it. So Look out for the uh, solo cast one or uh, two more from now where I'll talk about that. Um, but, you know, do what you need to do to get clear on who you're going to be walking into the room, you know, from a place of clarity, from a place of confidence, going through that clarity, detachment and equilibrium um, uh, framework that I teach and that I talked about a couple episodes ago makes a big difference in that. Right. You know, you come in uh, in a place of detachment to a negotiation. That, that's a much stronger context than, than scarcity you know, to, or fear. Um, so that's, so that's number one, you need to create it consciously, the context, and then you need to do some of these exercises to be able to stay connected to it, um, during the, the, uh, the negotiation. Okay. Um, what's the next one? Be willing to do what it takes to get to your truth. Well, in the last two solo casts, I talked about the concept of clarity, which is the fundamental, uh, you know, starting point of my framework, clarity, detachment, equilibrium. And then I talked about lack of preparation being one of the uh, key reasons negotiations fail and how you have to prepare. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is just sort of the, the deeper cut on that. It's being willing to get to your truth means that you're not going to just do a surface level preparation. That even when I talk about internal preparation, right, to get to your, um, uh, your, your, your place of clarity, right? So not only external information, but internal uh, truing up uh, to get to that clarity. Um, you, you know, that's a self-exploration journey. And it's hard sometimes to get out of our ego or admit that we're afraid or admit that we're in a place of scarcity, right? It's easy to, to have some bravado and, uh, you know, or avoidance or denial around that. And if you do, don't do that work to get to your uh, and fully own, you know, uh, where you are, you know, get to that level of truth, dig down deep, you're going to be in trouble. So do that in a work. Number three, identify and fully own your value. This is a huge one, Okay. Um, and this comes up for everybody, everybody. I will say, however, and you know, the um, uh, negotiating experts that I know, 
uh, who, uh, so for example, Cindy Watson was on episode 31. She trains a lot of women in negotiation and um, uh, pretty much everybody I've talked to, uh, women who train women in negotiation agree with me on this, that in general, uh, women have a, 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 you know, a big issue with this. Everybody does. I want to start there, but it's something that's even more so with, with women um, because there's a socialization you know, of women uh, to be less inclined to own their value, to stand for who they are, to speak out their voice, to ask for that promotion or raise, things like that. Now, listen, I want to say any gender generalization that I'm making, of course, is not true across the board. And even the, you know, using uh, the concept of male and female in a binary way, not everybody identifies that way. So I'll throw those caveats out. But in general, my experience has been, and most other negotiating experts that I know, is that owning your value is a key to everybody. And it's something that women need to focus on even more. Um, and you know, so what do I say about owning your value? Well, you got to do the work. Uh, if you're going to quote a price, for example, whether it's uh, at an hourly rate or project fee or a fee for your goods and services, um, you are going to be much more successful. In fact, you will be unsuccessful. if You don't really believe that you're worth that your products worth that your services work that. Cause again, like I said, you know, and in, in talking about some of the other stuff, you're going to give off that energy. People can understand that if you're not caught, you know, if you can't own it, they're not going to own it. Um, so you got to do the work to, to own that value. And when I set my rates for whether it's my only rates as a lawyer or my rates, my speaking fees, my workshop fees, I do a couple of things. I do that external research to find out well, you know, what the market is and what you know, people are paying and charging and whatever, and that's information. But I don't stop there. Uh, what I do is I sit down and really think on an internal basis. I literally get into almost a meditative state and hold that number. You know, can I charge $800 as a lawyer as I do right now, right? Well, yeah, and I'll tell you why, because I'm going to give value at or, 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 or more than that, 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 um, that amount, right? Same thing with my workshops. You know, can I charge X for a half-day workshop, full-day workshop? Yeah, these people are going to get value at or definitely exceeding what I'm charging, right? I am confident in that. And here's the thing. If you can't say that, then you have to rethink what you're charging. You want to do the work to get things up. You know, uh, I tell a great story in the book that Jack Canfield tells about how um, it, when he was a teacher, so Jack Canfield, you know, co-author of uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, the best-selling book series in the history of the world. Um, he was a teacher in the sixties and seventies, I believe, um, you know, school teacher, and he would do some talks on the side. And back then, um, I think the numbers were, he was charging $400 a talk and, um, he, uh, you know, and he was fine doing that. And, but then he spoke to one of his colleagues and, uh, they were talking about a talk his colleague was, uh, was giving and it was, it was similar to the ones that Jack was doing and his colleague, you know, was charging $1,200 and Jack, you know, congratulated him. And, but then it was thinking afterwards, wait a second, you know, he's charging $1,200 for a talk three times what I'm charging. I'm at least as good as him. I think I'm better than him. How is he, how is he getting $1,200 a talk? Right. Well, obviously the guy was able to value himself, value himself at three times the amount that Jack was at the time. So the next time that, uh, that Jack had an opportunity to, to, um, to pitch, uh, for a, a talk, Somebody asked him what he, what he would charge, and he couldn't bring himself to, to say 1200 He really couldn't own it. So, but he, instead of 400 he said 800 And the, um, the you know, person who was booking the, the conference or the, or the, the, the speaking opportunity uh, said to him, no problem. <laughs> and, and Jack said, just out of curiosity, what would have been a problem? And the guy said, well, we had $1,500 in the, in the budget for the speaker. So Jack honored the 800 that he asked for. Right, because that's what he asked for, and, he, and that was the right thing to do. But the next time he had an opportunity to uh, to be asked what he, you know what he was charging for a talk, 
Um, he said $1,500. And they said, we have 1200 in the budget. And he said, good, I'll take it. So now he's up to making three times what he did previously. Now, was he, any, was he a better speaker in those you know, number of months that it took that time? No. What happened? He understood he was triggered originally by someone else charging more, which had him question, wait a second, am I undercharging? Am I more, this guy can get it. I'm as good as him. Maybe, uh, you know, I, I need to understand I'm more valuable. Originally, he couldn't fully own that additional value. So he only went up from 400 to 800 and then understood that people would have paid him even more. And then he was able to get up to the 1200. Well, that's what I recommend that you all do, right? If you're in a position where you're, you know, providing a product or service or charging an hourly rate, you should look at the highest number that you can confidently own, that you know you're going to provide value at or beyond, and you should charge that. If that is below market or below what you know, the comparable people are charging, do the internal work to figure out why you can't own that, right? You know, it could be a lot of past-based stuff. It could be just lack of knowledge. It could be, you know, do that external and internal work to figure out a way to push those numbers up. And then when you are confident that you provide value, that's when people will, will, will book you at those rates, buy your services at those rates, right? I don't have issues with my rates because I know and I give off an energy and it's not from a place of ego, you know, it's from a place of clarity that people are going to get value beyond, you know, what I'm providing. And uh, as long as they understand, I mean, people will test you sometimes. Sometimes people say to me, hey, you know, this other uh, attorney, this other speaker, this other trainer, uh, you know, charges X. And, and my answer is always not from some place. This is not like a tactic. I really believe it. I always said to them, listen, if they charge half, three quarters, whatever it is, what I charge, and you think that you can get the same amount, at least the same amount of value that I can provide you, you should go with them. And I really mean that. I mean that. If somebody else can do as good of a job on a deal as I can as a lawyer or a negotiation or as a, or training or as, or as a speaker or as a, you know, a professional negotiator, and they charge less, then you should go with them. Frankly, I don't think that's usually the case uh, because people often charge less, you know, aren't, or by the way, they may just not be owning their value. And maybe they are great attorneys, but the fact that they're not owning their value would concern me. But you know what? If it's the case, you should do it. And, and, and it's frankly rare that people end up going that way. A lot of times when they raise that thing, they're sort of really testing whether you really believe you're worth it because they don't want to believe you're worth it unless you do. And they, they don't, you know, they're not going to be out ahead of you. You know, they're actually going to be, you know, more skeptical than you are, and they're not going to, you know, hold you in higher value uh, than you do. So, you know, you got to do that work to own your value. It's absolutely crucial. Um, so that that was number three in, in the top, uh, you know, uh, five ways to be a great negotiator. Number four is always be an integrity. Always be an integrity. Now, of course, I'm talking about in terms of, you know, holding, you know, strong morals and ethics. But what I mean more so is being aligned with your inner truth, right? Uh, I talked about this, um, you know, lack of integrity. Uh, I talked about as one of the in the last podcast is one of the top uh, six reasons negotiations fail. Well, this is the this is the opposite of it. If you're always truing up to your inner truth, if you're always truing up to that compass, and staying, uh, you know, and and staying in that truth, or at least when you get thrown off, doing what you need to do to take a break, to do you know some of the things that I teach to get you back aligned, and you can stay in integrity with yourself right? Meaning that you are aligned, you, the deal feels right to you, et cetera, all that kind of stuff from a, uh, uh, lines up with the inner truth, then you're going to do a better deal. That's a key thing. And people who are great negotiators trust those instincts and are able to tune into them. Finally, in, in the fifth uh, way to be a great negotiator is have high expectations. There have been studies 
out there that, that you know, a number of studies that show that if you hold high expectations, you're uh, much more likely to get a, a better result. So if you go into a negotiation from a place of, um, you know, low expectations or fear or any of that kind of stuff, then, you, you know, you're going to get a worse result. So do the work to hold high expectations. Now, listen, it may or may not work out, you know, that way. You may say, oh, I'm definitely going to get this deal done. You don't get it done. But that's when you go back to your detachment and you're okay with not getting it done. But that doesn't mean you go into a negotiation saying, oh, low chance we're going to get it done because that's going to, you know, that's going to hurt you. Uh, you're you're going to come in with the right energy, the right context if you're holding higher expectations. And, you know, if you, I, I, I know I, um, I link on my website on coreycuffer.com uh, to some of the, uh, the studies on the on the Pigalian effect and some other things that show about holding high expectations and how that um, positively impacts uh, anything in life. By the way, anything <laughs> whether you're trying to make a sale, get a client, um, you know, uh, successfully run a marathon, uh, or go into a negotiation, holding high expectations is a uh, is a key. So listen, those are the top uh, five um, ways to be a great negotiator. Notice again, I did not say. Learning a tactic or counter tactic is one of the top five ways. It's useful if you're doing the the ones that are you know uh, um, that are authentic, that are in integrity, that are not manipulative. But if you want to add those on top of these five, do that internal work for true negotiating success. And with that, I want to thank you, fueling deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't, and it's unrelated to size, amount of capital or any other factor other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals and then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth. 